Welcome to part three of the special edition of Middle Georgia Podcast as we celebrate the 100th birthday of WMAZ Radio and the century mark of radio in Middle Georgia. One of the main reasons people have always tuned into this station has been its commitment to news and information. Our many local news awards include a 1949 Peabody Award, the most prestigious honor in journalism. For over 40 years, WMAZ was an affiliate of CBS Radio. This partnership was Middle Georgia's up-to-the-minute source for information during the pre-television years of World War II. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. The Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii by air, President Roosevelt has just announced. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The Navy announces that Wake Island is probably captured by the enemy. And now it is disclosed that fewer than 400 Marines held Wake Island for at least 14 days against heavy Japanese attack. This is Trafalgar Square. The noise that you hear at the moment is the sound of the air raid sirens. I'm standing here just on the steps of St. Martin's in the Fields. A landing was made this morning on the coast of France by troops of the Allied Expeditionary Force. Great battles lie ahead. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin from CBS World News. A press association has just announced that President Roosevelt is dead. I only wish that Franklin D. Roosevelt had lived to witness this day. General Eisenhower informs me that the forces of Germany have surrendered to the United Nations. 7 p.m. Eastern Wartime, Bob Trout reporting. The Japanese have accepted our terms fully. That's the word we've just received from the White House in Washington. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the Second World War. Locally, the World War II years meant a full-time commitment from WMAZ's engineers. Billy Sowell. Back during uh, wartime, there had to be somebody at the transmitters 24 hours a day. All transmitter sites then had living quarters because somebody had to be at the transmitters. 24 hours a day. My first broadcasting really with the station was just going along as a kid on remotes. And it was back in the heyday of Camp Wheeler, and we used to go out to Camp Wheeler and do a remote broadcast every week. Helen Farmer Popejoy remembers being at the radio station when the war officially ended on VJ Day. It was in August. It had been raining. And we got the announcement of the end of the war over INS, AP, and UP all at the same time, those wire services, and a rainbow appeared over the sky in Macon. CBS contacted Frank Hubbs. He took a microphone, hung out of the fifth floor window of the Bankers Trust, did an on-the-spot broadcast, and I got so excited I shared my shoes and ran down Cherry Street barefooted just screaming, it's over, it's over. Helen's eight years at WMAZ Radio started in May of 1946, after she graduated from Wesleyan Conservatory in Macon. I had won an award in overall radio excellence, and with it came the job. So I started with MAZ the very next day. It was quite interesting because I had not majored in uh, news at all. I was much more of the um, women's programs but they put me in the brand new news department. You see, we had never had a local woman 
on the news regularly. And so that was my assignment. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Helen Farmer reporting the dinner bell news for our sponsors, Trice Oil and the Sinclair dealers of Middle Georgia. Well, my friends, we've got really big news today, and it's something this girl has been waiting many months to tell you about, and um, we're all pretty excited up here at WMAZ. So gather closely around your radios, will you? All set? Well, VHF Television has been granted to Macon. WMAZ's application for a television station has been today approved by the Federal Communications Commission. And officials say they hope to have the station on the air before the end of the year. In 1955, WMAZ Radio received a power increase to 50,000 watts, the maximum for an AM station. This happened two years after WMAZ-TV had signed on at Channel 13. But television in Macon was still a child in November of 1963, and Middle Georgians turned to WMAZ and CBS Radio for four memorable days. Many people later called this Walter Cronkite's finest hour. Here is a bulletin from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Vice President Lyndon Johnson <clears throat> has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the 36th President of the United States. The caisson that once carried Lincoln, pulled by seven white horses, the riderless horse. Flags at half-staff against the barren trees. The soft, cold rain breaking the silence between distant commands and muted hoofbeats. A year prior, President Kennedy had dealt with the Cuban Missile Crisis, and Billy Sowell says this event and WMAZ's big signal led to a new challenge for the station. The Corps of Engineers came to WMAZ in 1964 and says, we're going to build a shelter at your transmitter. And WMAZ was one of the stations that they considered essential. And so the, uh, what considered a bum shelter, a fallout shelter that the transmitter site on Forsyth Road was built in 1964. And it was stocked completely with water and food and uh, mattresses and, uh, and cots and all. In October 1958, Macon's most famous murder trial to date ended with a guilty verdict for Anjet Lyles. One year later, Bill Tribble, who had covered the trial for the Macon Telegraph, joined the news staff at WMAZ. Radio news was the big competitive factor in Macon in 1959 when I, when I joined the station. Uh, Television news at that time was just getting carbon copies of the radio newscast and was basically adding 35 millimeter slides to them and what little 16 millimeter film that we shot. Uh, the 11 o'clock news on radio was open-ended. We gathered the news all day. We wrote the news in great detail. Uh, stories were in-depth. They explored everything in depth, every story just about. We, we were able to use 
sound cuts where possible. And sometimes that newscast ran over half an hour. It, it ran from 11 o'clock sometimes until 11.45. But at that time, the television set went off at 11 o'clock. People turned on the radio to 9.40. During the late 50s, radio was competing against other radio, primarily for on-the-spot reporting. In order to compete with BML in modern technology, our engineering staff went out and bought a, a, a bunch of... Uh, FM radio transmitters. They were used. They came from a taxi cab company in Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> they saved a few bucks on them. And we did mobile reports on everything. If somebody uh, bent a fender at a traffic light, uh, BML and MAZ and NEX tried their best to beat each other on the air with these mobile reports. And Tribble will never forget his most memorable on the scene report. At Vineville Avenue and Forest Hill Road was a place called the Polar Bear. It was a drive-in. And a very prominent ambassador, uh, Ambassador North Winship, lived in that area. He had a very prominent ambassador from, I think, uh, a foreign country, Great Britain or Germany, was visiting him. And he, they had walked from North Winship's house up to the Polar Bear uh, to give this guy a, a taste of an American drive-in, which was very popular at that time. You drive in and got curb service and that kind of thing. And on the way up there, the man inadvertently stepped into Vineville Avenue, was hit by a car, and was killed, this ambassador. And, of course, they dispatched me out there. And this is a very sad and tragic thing. And so I went out to the scene and... They cued me and put me on the air on WMAZ, and I was to report on this tragedy. And I informed the listening audience, and this is a, again a tragedy, but again, you make mistakes reporting tragedies. I informed the listening audience that Ambassador so-and-so of such-and-such a country had been killed when he was struck by a polar bear on Vineville Avenue. And what do you do? You just keep talking and hope nobody heard you. But everybody in Middle Georgia heard me have that man run over by a polar bear. 94 Several voices you've heard through the years on AM 940 are people from the Middle Georgia area who grew up listening to WMAZ. Jimmy Lee moved all the way from Perry to Macon in the early 1960s to become an announcer and news reporter at WMAZ. It wasn't too long after that, the station decided that they needed a, a bona fide farm broadcaster because there was some good money in national advertising in farm broadcasting and, and nobody really wanted the job. Uh, but I was new on the staff and I said, yeah, I'll take it. And, and I did. And, uh, it wasn't too long after that till I found out that, that farmers needed somebody to talk for them, uh, needed uh, some way to present their story. And the more I got into it, the better I liked it, and especially the people I dealt with. And so my farm show became a, a real money maker, honestly, for the station. Uh, we did an hour in the morning uh, and an hour and a half at the noon hour. But in those days, farmers were a little bit leery about having anybody come out to do radio. So it was tough. 
Uh, farmers wouldn't talk much. You'd ask, I didn't know much, but I'd ask a question, how's the crop doing? Fine. That'd be about it. In early 1963, a pre-dawn fire destroyed old Wesleyan College, a huge structure that took up the entire block of College Street, where the main post office now stands, Bill Tribble. It was spectacular. And the one thing I remember about that fire, of course, it was so hot as it burned that huge old Victorian building, heart pine and oak interior, was that it, it took about three apartment houses with it across the street from it. It's just set building, set other buildings afire. Cars that were parked on the street <laughs> practically melted. But the one thing I remember is it was cold and it was raining. And the first thing I did was put on a plastic raincoat. The rain was evaporating as, as soon as it hit the ground or hit anything. It was a misty rain because of the heat of the fire. And I turned around to walk away from the uh, fire where I'd been shooting, and a policeman says, do you know your raincoat is on fire? And <laughs> I said no, and I snatched off the plastic raincoat, and it had melted from the heat and was actually trying to, trying to burn. It was bubbling. Radio had the, the advantage then because even though there were second-hand taxi cab radios, uh, we could go on the air immediately from the scene of anything, any disaster, and broadcast. Uh, we were frustrated at the old Wesleyan College fire because that was on a Saturday night, I believe. Uh, the radio station signed off at midnight or 1 a.m. every night. The radio didn't broadcast all night long, neither did television. And the radio station didn't come back on the air until 6 a.m. And so we were up there for two or three hours just totally frustrated. And, of course, we spent that time gathering information and shooting film. I, I hope I never see again or there's never again a fire like that in Macon. In the early 1970s, WMAZ Radio took a first step toward a news staff that would eventually be totally separate from television. Paul Belleville became radio's first news director. When we put together a news operation at WMAZ Radio, we, we had a lot of good people that went through there. We won a lot of awards, too. You know, people like David Price and, and Jerry Gunn and Pete Conenkamp and uh, Jenny West, who went on to CNN, uh, CNN Radio. You know, we had a friendly rivalry, I think, with television news. Um, and, and we would sometimes uh, hold stories if we had stories ahead of them. We'd run them first on radio and then give them to TV, and we liked to do that uh, back in those days. And uh, David Price, who ultimately went over to Channel 13 and worked for a while, uh, was probably one of the worst offenders. He loved to hold news from TV and then uh, wait till they came and asked for it. And in those early years of separate news staffs, Macon's controversial mayor kept both newsrooms busy on a daily basis. Macon was on the map in those days because of Mayor Ronnie Thompson. Uh, and I went to a, a CBS news director meeting in New York uh, somewhere in the early 70s. And I was at LaGuardia Airport, and this gentleman saw my briefcase, and it had WMAZ Macon on it. And he said, is that Macon, Georgia? And I said, yes, it is. And he said, you got that mayor with the machine gun. What's his name? Ronnie somebody? And I thought right there, I had no idea Macon was famous nationwide, but, but it was. He, he had quite a reputation in those days. But he was interesting to cover. There was never a dull day when Ronnie Thompson was mayor. He knew how to use the media. Uh, I don't think the media knew that he was using them, but he knew how to do it. He, he was very good at controlling his publicity. 
the media thought they were exposing Ronnie, but Ronnie was really in control. He was controlling the media. He knew exactly what to say, exactly what to do to set these folks off. And I enjoy it. It was hilarious to watch this man operate, it, it, uh, particularly since being the media and probably being suckered by Ronnie many times myself. Paul Beliveau also recalls a memorable weekend in February 1973, now better known as the Big Snow. The Weather Bureau, and in those days there wasn't AccuWeather and there wasn't uh, private forecasting companies like we have now. Uh, in those days you had the Weather Bureau and they were out at Lewis Wilson Airport and they told you what the weather was going to be, the official government version. And they were telling us uh, there might be some snowflakes, but it was nothing to worry about. And then they were saying, well, it appears we're going to get a little snow, but it's only going to be an inch or so, and there's nothing to worry about. And then they said, as it kept snowing, well, we're going to have about three to five inches, but that's all there's going to be. And then they were saying, well, it may be five to seven inches. And, and so the story went until we had, uh, gosh, I don't know, 17 or 18 inches of snow in the, in the Macon area. And, of course, the, the station was in the Southern Trust Building. It was totally... Uh, totally surrounded uh, by all these snow drifts. Uh, we were just trapped at, uh, at the Southern Trust Building studios. And it made for quite an interesting uh, set of broadcasting. We were on the air constantly. We'd done away with the music pretty much. And we were on the air with, uh, with Governor Carter. I believe Jimmy Carter was governor back then. We had him on the, on the phone all the time and uh, dealing with the uh, emergency management people and, and really went into high gear with news and information during that whole snowstorm. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I remember it as a time of enjoyment. Uh, I know being trapped in, a, in an office building downtown where you have to open the candy machines to get anything to eat doesn't sound like fun, but it was at the time. In the late 50s and early 60s, radio was moving away from programs and becoming more music-intensive and format-specific. Jimmy Lee was operations director when those changes came about at WMAZ. And I was happy to be there at that particular time because we really saw a revolutionary change in radio broadcasting right after that, especially on MAZ, such a conservative O-line station for so many years till, uh, till it was really a, a, a drastic change in everything. And then we went to all kind of different formats and MAZ tried different formats. We even had a country show at one time, a guy by the name of Pee Wee Clark who played uh, drums with Uncle Ned. Pee-wee did a little country show for us in the afternoon, and oh, we got criticized, not because of what he did, but just that we were doing country music on WMAZ radio. We got awful criticism about it, and finally we had to discontinue that, and we tried a lot of different little formats and a lot of different formulas, and, uh, and some worked, some didn't. Uh, it, it was hard to find the right track to fit in, really with that kind of history background of the station and to please listeners who had been used to that all those years, it was hard to find a real niche to fit in. Coming up, the Hospitality House, Date with Dell, and the announcer for Conan O'Brien. When News Talk 940 continues, our anniversary special.